You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Hey there. Welcome to today's episode where we are going to deviate a little bit from our norm where we talk about a specific topic and we're just gonna have a little chit chat about life as a postgrad. Yep, and just like general struggles and everything that's happening right now a little bit. So how's your week been or month? How What day is it? How long has it been? It's the 23rd of July currently. I mean, two of the weeks I was able to spend with you, so that was great. So July has been fine, in a way. I miss you. (laughs) I miss you, too. (laughs) Two weeks wasn't enough. (laughs) Things are going. Yeah, so it was nice to go away for about two weeks and just kind of live life outside of my house, Mm -hmm. my my little house, and being able to see you and your BF and your family. And we are all safe. We we're doing all the procedures for COVID and stuff like that. And we would always wear a face mask and yada, 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 yada. It was just nice to be reunited with the best friend, especially because we talk all the time. So it felt like no time had passed. <laughs> but also it's like, oh, my God, it's almost been an entire year since we saw each other. It's so crazy. I know. I was so sad when you left. I'm starting to get cabin fever out here again too our house has become like 10 times more messy because we're starting to like pick the things we're gonna move with and so the whole living room is just like covered in clothes and technology and random stuff yeah no it's a mess so everyone's going a little crazy right now again I'm excited to finally move out of the dining room and into our own apartment (laughs) Which is in less than a month now. I'm so excited. Moved to school. Yeah. So how close are you to Stanford, the campus? I actually haven't mapped it to the campus yet. I think it's over an hour and a half because it took us like an hour and a half to get to the Bay Bridge. Mm -hmm. Oh, I meant um, your new apartment to Stanford. Oh, from campus the new apartment is like a 14-minute walk. Oh, nice. And I want to get a bike. Yeah, that'd be good. You should get like a little penny board. What's a penny board? It's like a little skateboard. One of those small ones that are like for your feet. Oh, I would eat it. I would face plant every time. I should get like roller blades. <laughs> yeah. Roller skates like trending right now. Social media. It's like, yeah, just skating off to my PhD courses. <laughs> but then I'd have to like unlace them every time I enter the classroom. <laughs> or not. Kind of annoying. Or you I never just know. keep them on. Yeah, that's true. It's like they asked me to come up to the front of the class and present like, in, in my rollerblades. You have to start when you do your teaching courses, you have to wear rollerblades. Okay. At least for the first day. Oh, when I'm, when I'm teaching people? Yeah. Skate around the front of the classroom. Yeah. Do you know how much like power and authority you can portray just from that? And they'd just be like, "Oh my god!" Someone's I'm talking so like, rollerblade really quickly over to them. And be like, <laughs> <laughs> would you be a professor that would allow computers and phones, or 
not. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of good things that computers have in classroom too. Like with disabilities, some people can't write as well, and some people record the class on their computer. I I don't think there's any issue with computers. Like if you want to be there, you'll do the work. If you don't want to be there, then that's your choice. I mean, like there were some classes that I was in where I was just like scrolling through Facebook the whole time. <laughs> oh, like, no. yeah, me too. Yeah, and like I don't know, you can't force someone to be interested in what you're saying. Yeah, you can just try your hardest to be interesting, but yeah, I don't, I don't think taking away things will make them more interested <laughs> in what you're saying. That's valid. Yeah, I was in one course. There's a one professor during my undergrad. Like, I took two different courses with her, and both the courses she did not allow any sort of electronic devices. And we had, we did have somebody who was blind in one of the courses, and it was just kind of like a take um somebody else takes the notes gives it to them and they're always like super accessible but it was just like anytime like a phone would go off she would give them like the death stare and it oh, was God. the most <laughs> scary thing ever but i i never received that thank god and we, we're we're close she remembered me from like my first year when i took her for a i forget what course it was like physical anthropology course and she'd be like I've had you before, and I'm like, yeah, you have. I love you. (laughs) It's okay. I think she taught, like, five classes, and a lot of them had people not within the anthropology department as well. So just kind of, like, a lot of faces. So until you get to, like, the upper divisions, that's when the professors are just like, ah, ha, ha. How many people did you have in, like, a regular class? Depends. So regular seminar was around 30. Wow. Maybe. Maybe more. And then if you had, like, a lecture hall, that would be, like, over 100. Dang. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. For me, my smallest class was four people. Oh, my God. And my biggest class was, like, maybe 20. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I understand you're like, wow, I don't, don't remember your face. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's crazy. I Actually, so I took, like, a – it was, like, an intro science course for, like, a – a uh, general ed requirement and that one was like 50 <laughs> that was yeah. like the biggest one the courses where i would have like the full-on lecture hall with like 100 or so people was for like a poli sci class so it's kind of like general education where they had to fit all these people in because they everyone has to take these classes did you have to do like general ed at the beginning of your degree or could you like do it whenever you could take it throughout your whole degree basically i know for the anthropology major you had to take the beginning levels first and then you could go on to the upper division stuff but that was basically about it and for the general ed you can just take it whenever i finished mine fast that's nice i think we didn't really have general ed requirements i forget what they were called they weren't called general ed but it was basically you had to take a class that fell into a certain category And so we had like a non-Western requirement and then a Western requirement. And so you had to take something in Western, whether that was literature or history or sociology or anything having to do with like Western people, modern or ancient. All of the requirements were very general. So you could find a class in a department that you like that would uh, fall into that requirement. And so you didn't necessarily have to take like history 101 or english 101 or math 101 or whatever it was 
like you could find that requirement in any department that you found interesting, which was kind of cool. So you didn't have to take classes that you didn't like. Nice. That's always a perk. I would have to say that even though for ours is like the general ed, there was just a lot of options that you could do with it. So it's like it didn't have to be just like a general like history 101. You do like either early U.S. history or modern U.S. history. Maybe. I don't really remember actually. Anyway. <laughs> it's so long ago. I digress. I, I feel so old now. <laughs> I know. I'm I don't like, really uh. remember what they were called. Yeah. But yeah. we had like for anthropology, those were the prerequisites. And then we had something called capstones, which were basically an upper division level of general ed courses. And you had to take, I want to say four of those. And luckily, anthropology was basically in all of those requirements for the capstones and the general ed. So I was able to like double count a lot of things with my anthropology. Just take a bunch of anthro class. That's cool. Yeah. Well, because I didn't even have to take a bunch. It was just like, oh, this double counts. So I was able to graduate a semester early because I double counted everything with anthropology and geography. And a lot of the geography courses also went into anthropology so then everything just worked out and I'm like ha 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 yes I love beating the system but not really and I just took classes that I was only interested in too so I was just like ha I love everything it's so interesting thinking about like graduating early in undergrad because I don't think I knew anyone who graduated early for like everyone just stays there for four years like no one tries to graduate early and I wonder if that's like a difference between like state schools and like where I was I don't know like that that just wasn't a thing that people did like I went in with a semester of units from taking AP courses Mm. and so I was already like a semester ahead Mm -hmm. and so then I just didn't have to like waste any time because I was able to also double count courses and I I mean I was basically the one that was um double counting everything and like I planned out everything because I didn't want somebody else to do it for me. So it would be whenever it'd be time to select my courses, I pulled out a Word document that I had made from like my very first semester. And I had all these classes that I wanted to take and everything like all listed out. I'm like, okay, so everything's done on this. So I can cross all these off. I can take these next semester, but I actually want to do this one. So then I would just arrange everything. And then my last semester was the best semester of my career because it was so easy and it was so much fun because I just took ethnographic film course, intro to Korean, so I learned a little bit of Korean, uh, pop culture in East Asia, and then it was another cultural anthropology course that was about theory that I had to take, but I still enjoyed it a lot. And so I was just like, this is the easiest semester and then I worked like two jobs and I had my internship. So I was like working seven days a week, but I was just like, this Jeez. is fine. Jeez. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine doing semesters having done terms for my whole like higher education career because like every school I've gone to so far is on a term system. So you only take three classes per term. Oh, wow. Yeah. And nice. Like I can't imagine having to do like five or six classes. <laughs> Per semester, that's just so many things to like switch back and forth between. Yeah, I did five and then a lab. That's crazy. Yeah, our lab courses would be like one extra day of class. So Mm -hmm. if you had like three classes 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the lab class would be on like a Tuesday or something. So you'd have like an Mm -hmm. extra class for that. I can see why people don't try to graduate early from those then because it's kind of more difficult since you're on the term and you take like three courses. Yeah, less time to do everything. Yeah, it's all condensed into like nine weeks too and then the 10th week is finals. So it goes really quick too. Yeah, so I can see that difference there. And then I know people who'd be taking like six courses a semester and then a lab on top of that. I'm just like, how are you alive? And they're like, I'm not. Yeah, my my Sarah, (laughs) the the person who's older than me, who's done a PhD already, who's mentoring me, she's telling me that I should try to like – get all my classes for my PhD done as soon as I can and like double up on everything and just try to like knock it out and I'm like oof that sounds so hard (laughs) but but she said it's worth it to like try to get out of there as soon as you can because so many people just like spend years and years and years in a PhD program Mm. yeah so we'll we'll see unless you want to spend years and years and years yeah I mean it's, you never know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm scared of the real world. I just want to stay in school forever. <laughs> that's why I'm doing a PhD. Yeah, And that's when you go teach, so then you never leave. Speaking of real world, let's talk about being scared of the real world. Being scared of the real world. So it all started when I was five years old and... <laughs> no, well, so I recently had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn, like out of the blue, like they're doing archaeology. I think they're in their undergrad, like last year of undergrad and just wanted to chat. I feel like so many people doing archaeology in undergrad don't realize that you have to go way beyond undergrad after for like to do anything with archaeology because so many jobs require like a master's degree minimum. Like that's something I didn't realize when I I mean I didn't start doing archaeology until like my junior year anyway. So I didn't like go into college wanting to be an archaeologist. But yeah, I think that's something that I didn't quite realize until I had gotten out of undergrad and like was like struggling to like make money or get work or whatever and just felt like pressured to go into a master's degree kind of like by the world and myself. It's like, well, I can't do anything with like what I have now and may as well do more school. And like it ended up being great anyways, but I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize going into it. Maybe they are now, but especially because more people are looking I don't know about more people are looking into it, but what I've been seeing are a lot of people just immediately going into a master's or now going into a master's. Yeah, master's is like the new undergrad. Like anyone can get an undergrad degree, but I didn't really know about the struggle of trying to find a job after my undergrad because when I was in my undergrad I was like okay I have three options for this is like my second to last semester so spring 2017 uh, I was like okay I'm planning on teaching English in South Korea just so I can have like a year off and not not a year off but it's like I'm doing something but and I'm doing something I enjoy like basically a gap year the second option try to just find a full-time job working at a museum or Anyway, and then the third option, I'll, I'll try to find a master's. And then the third option became my first option. And then I just went immediately into my master's, basically. Right after undergrad. Yeah. 
because I applied fall 2017, which is my last semester. Then I got accepted. So then it was just like, okay, I'm just going to work these two jobs and stay in my internship until I need to leave. And that's what I did until August of 2018. So that was just like eight months of just working. When I was in my last year of undergrad, I like couldn't imagine having to apply to grad school while I was doing my undergrad courses. So like that wasn't even something I was, I was just like, I'm going to take a year off no matter what, because I just can't handle applications right now. Like, because that was like, I wasn't aware of like things abroad or anything. So if I was going to do grad school immediately, it would have been like a U.S. school. And then that would have been like applications due the fall of your senior year for the next year, like that sort of thing. Yeah, because all applications are due like December the year before you're going to start. Yeah. But with the UK, it was like rolling so you can apply whenever. But yeah, so I knew I wasn't going to do grad school immediately. And so I just started with the job search. And luckily, after applying to like a billion things, I got one uh, CRM job while I was still in college. And then like they were just waiting for me to graduate type thing. But they also required that I had um, like a field school experience, which I hadn't had yet when I was coming out of undergrad. And so I had to sign up for a field school like the summer after graduation, which is I feel like is a little atypical for undergrad because usually you do your field school like junior year or something like that for a lot of archaeologists. But I think it was like a life hack because I didn't have to pay for the class part of the field school. I just paid for the field work part of the field school. So it ended up being like half the price of a field school, which are already expensive. (laughs) Do your field school after (laughs) undergrad if you're looking to save money. But yeah, so that's what happened there. And then I just worked and wasn't making money. So like for archaeological field technician, you're like part-time on call usually. So you only work when they call you in to work. And for the one I was working at in LA, I only got work like once a month or once every two months. So I also had to find a job to do like other than that. So I did substitute teaching. Yeah, I I knew I needed to get a degree if I wanted to do anything in archaeology, a grad degree. Mm -hmm. Something that I recommend for field school is that maybe if you don't want it to count as credits, just don't have that because that's where it costs extra. And I never did that because I'm just like, well, I don't need the extra units and it costs a lot extra. So I'm just not going to do it. And then I didn't have to do like a test or write an essay. Ours was like you had to write a big essay and present it to everyone. I was like, ooh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I remember they had like, I think it was just a test. I'm not really too sure. And they're just like, it's so easy. It's fine. But they were like, one of the guys was studying for it. And it was just like, I'm just just a lab monkey now. So I'm just (laughs) scanning documents. (laughs) I think post-grad after undergrad is rough for archaeology, and I think it gets less rough with another degree. Well, that's that's hard to say. I think you give yourself more op- options if you have like a grad degree. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, though, because it's still going to be extremely hard to find anything Because if your specialty is extremely niche, then those job positions are going to be very small as well, like a small pool of them. Yeah. 
Because who knows when they're going to need somebody who knows everything there is to know about fish bones or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. fish bones, <laughs> a certain species of a fish bone. It's like it's super awesome, but I think it's a good idea to keep up with like rising technologies in the field um, because that's always a good skill to have. Like, for example, like GIS is used a lot in the field and in the lab and everywhere else in archaeology. And it's almost a requirement now to have some awareness of GIS to be able to do any CRM job or stuff like that um, where you're going to be dealing with maps and data points and that sort of thing. So that's a good skill to have. So just keeping an eye on like hot topics in the field that people are looking for when they're looking for people to fill in a job position is a good idea and then focus on some of those like during school or getting like outside what's the word certifications did you ever get a certification for gis no i just both of my degrees thus far were all focused on gis so i didn't feel like i needed to do that i think it's good for people who don't have like the classes for it in their degree. The thing with GIS, which I like about it, is that if you know what is possible to do in it, it's easy to just Google and figure it out yourself. Like if you're aware that you can make a map do this and you can just figure it out on your own, you don't necessarily need to be taught how to do it. But it's just getting those terminology and becoming aware of it is how to get good at it but yeah yeah it's like you know exactly what to look through and even when like all the updates come and change everything it's easy because it's like okay i know what this is just gonna google it where (laughs) is it 2020 honestly all jobs are just googling on the job and learning on the fly like no one really has experience (laughs) well that being said i think we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about life after a master's degree so stay tuned so in this last part we are just talking about life within and after an undergrad and kind of the jobs and field school and i think i think we need to do an episode about field schools what do you think yes although i would argue that i don't know much about it because mine was very last minute (laughs) and i just tried to find the cheapest closest one yeah so. Did your did your undergrad host any? It wasn't they weren't like legit field schools. It was like individual research with professors, but they wouldn't count as like a field school on a resume or yeah, it was just like independent research. So no. <laughs> Cuz I had two archaeology professors during my undergrad. There were three. One of them left because of reasons with the university and now he's on the east coast i don't know i think he's living his best life i never got to take him which i was very sad about because i was looking forward to taking courses under him because i heard that he was extremely hard but he knew what he was talking about so it was justified (laughs) but um one of the professors he went to he would do digs in nicaragua and i think they counted as field schools And I think they counted for credit or something like that. But in order to go, you had to – I think there was something that had to do with these courses that he was teaching. And then if they were enrolled in one of those courses, they have priority over everyone else. And in some ways, it wasn't as fair to others as some think. 
And I just never, I never did them because they cost a lot of money. And I'm just like, aha, yes, I, I work basically full time and I work two jobs. So it's not going to work, which is difficult because it's like you need the experience, but you also need the money for the experience and you need money to live in. Yeah, I feel like archaeology in undergrad in general is just super expensive unless you like apply to grants within your school or field schools are expensive. <laughs> field schools are expensive. And it's like, I remember my brother joked around saying like, wow, I I could get these kids in undergrad to pay me so that I can give them experience. Okay. And I'm just like, no, that's not what, and I'm like, oh, wait, that is basically exactly what it is. Yeah, no, it's exactly. More or less. What do you think the biggest difference between like how you felt you were prepared after undergrad versus how you felt you were prepared after um, master's degree? I would have to say that after my undergrad, I, well, let's just say that I didn't apply to my master's, so I didn't already have like that expectation in my mind of what I was doing. Yeah. I would have to say that I wouldn't be sure if I was going more archaeology or anthropology because I was split in between basically the entire time because I did a lot of ethnographic anthropology and visual anthropology, which goes along with my digital archaeology. So I had like all these ideas. So I felt very confident in that way. So it's just like, okay, I know what type of jobs I'm going to look for and the words I want to use and the skills that I have and maybe even create like short films and documentaries. So in that aspect, I felt very confident. And especially because now putting myself back in that I was going into a master's degree right after I felt very confident. I was like, okay, cool. And I would have to say after my master's, I felt confident as well. I think the only thing that has been dissuading for me is the job searches, especially because I tried to stay in the UK after and finding somebody that sponsors a visa is a lot more difficult than I had imagined. And especially because of Brexit, everyone was just like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know this and that. And we don't think we can be able to sponsor anybody. And a lot of the museums and heritage institutions that I would love to have worked for, anytime like I would go to apply like on the application or on the website, it'd be like, at this time, we're not sponsoring these visas. And I was just mm. like, oh, man, my dreams. My Where dreams. are they? <laughs> they're, they're still there somewhere. It's just right now, definitely not the best time. They got to change. And so it was just more of like a learning curve of like okay this isn't gonna go in this direction right now in my life let's start move like shifting it okay let's start shifting and being very flexible and then the pandemic hit and then yeah now I'm just here looking for (laughs) yeah I think for me I don't think my master's like taught me much necessarily but I do think it helped me figure out what I wanted to do a little better like you said because like if I hadn't gone to the master's program I wouldn't have interacted with like all the Cambodia stuff that I did so like that wouldn't have been part of my life at all and so I think doing that led to some really good things for me but didn't necessarily like add to my value except for like another line on the CV or whatever I think the experiences I got out of the master's was worth it not necessarily like everything else. I think 
life would have been a lot different had I not done that. Yeah, And I feel like just school in general, you're going there for the people just as much as the information because the people you meet along the way help you progress further in what you want to do also. And so I think in that regard, those were all very valuable experiences and would do them again. Maybe the information we got was just the friends we made along the way. <laughs> 100% agree with that, honestly. Because even the people around you just inspire you and you just yeah. learn so much about other people and what they're learning and they're just like, wait, I didn't even know this existed. Tell me more about this. And then you have yeah. that sort of knowledge. And then in you your go mind. do it. <laughs> and then you go do it and you get that experience and you're just like, oh my God, my mind is blown. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for preparing for post grad is to get to know the people around you. Yeah, I always say this and we'll never stop saying it, but you got to network and networking (laughs) will save your life, especially in archaeology. It's who you know and what you do with that that gets you places. So that's that's the best. Use your surroundings and the people around you because everyone's always offering to help or maybe not offering to help, but everyone's there to help in some sort of way. Everyone's willing to help. Yeah. You just have to reach out because you won't know. It's like, well, no, there are like they must. They're busy. They're not going to respond. It's like well, you don't know that. Let so them determine whether they won't respond or not. Yeah. Yeah, and then if they don't respond, do you know what that means about you? It means nothing because it has <laughs> nothing to do with you. It just means they're busy. There's a lot, especially in this time. There's like a lot going on, and so like I know people have their emails backed up for like a month or two because mm. of just how many emails they have to send because everyone's working from home. So I'm just like, if, th- if you don't get back, I'm totally fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> cool. But please yeah. get back to me if you can. Please get back. I know. This whole like COVID thing has been super weird. I, again, with the networking thing, like, so I got that CRM job right out of undergrad. And then I got kicked out of Cambodia with COVID and we were all like evacuated back home. So that was five months where I was supposed to be abroad doing research that I now just had empty back in California. So I was like, what am I going to do? I don't have money. So I just, I Facebooked the person I worked with in my CRM job two years ago. And I was like, hey, do you need any help? And they're like, yes. And so they just like rehired me for the same job. And so like, that's that's like what I mean when like just make friends with the people you're surrounded with because you never know when they can help you later on or when you can help them later on and that sort of thing. And like I would have just been sitting on my butt at home not doing anything, not being able to find a job if I hadn't like just reached out to my old job. And I know you've been struggling with the, the job search too. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's not – a lot of jobs available right now there are but there's not if that makes sense there's job applications that are open that have been open since march and so you're you apply and then you get an email response saying like oh thank you for your application at this time we're not actually like currently hiring but we have this position open and we'll be getting back whenever it is <laughs> something of the sort or an automatic kind of like rejection saying like thanks uh, uh except we found somebody else at this time it's like i literally i just applied or i just don't hear back at all which is like understandable 
And one thing that I've been I've noticed with portals is that there's not really a contact that you can find for it. So it's like there's not anybody that's like a recruiting officer or something that you can just contact being like, hey, like I just sent in my application. I wanted to know more about this position or something of the sort where they can just get, get your name. There's nothing really. And it's like I keep trying to find stuff and I'm just like, where is this? I can't find it. I guess what I would do in that situation is like go on LinkedIn and like type in the company and find the resident archaeologists there and then just email them directly if they exist. Because I feel like like I did that when I was first looking for jobs after undergrad. I just went on LinkedIn and like found people who went to my school who were also working in these companies I was applying to and then just emailed them. And I I think that helped me in securing like at least an interview for jobs. Try to stalk them on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know why that just gives me bad vibes, but then I'm like, oh well, somebody were to message me about that, I would be fine. So I just like yeah. I have to get out of my own headspace for that. And this mm-hmm. is like it's a it's the same thing as emailing. It just feels more personal than it is if that makes sense I feel I feel the opposite though with LinkedIn because with LinkedIn it's a platform where you're pretty much asking people to reach out to you you know it's not like a Facebook or an Instagram where you only have people you know I feel like with LinkedIn you have first second third connections with people that you don't necessarily know I think this platform especially like it's encouraged that you reach out to people and network and do that sort of thing so just do it. It's not going to hurt you to message somebody. Message somebody to ask questions about the position or about the company. It's like, hey, I've like always wanted to work here. I would like to know more if there's any positions that go in line of XYZ. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. The one thing that has been the hindrance for me is that I live at home with my mom and my grandpa comes by like we see my grandpa often and they're both like high risk as as my brother and so finding like a part-time job or a full-time job where I'm like in contact with a bunch of people and then coming back home and exposing them I'm just like I don't want to do that to them and so and I also haven't really been looking out of state because of the difficulties of current moving especially at the beginning of the pandemic now I would be I am totally for moving around and it's more accessible even though the pandemic's got an all-time high but you know (laughs) I don't know more precautions are put in yes yeah yeah there's a lot more precautions and as much as like eventually I would love to move back to the UK because I feel like that's I don't know I would I feel like I don't know I have like a weird sense where it's like I've been there in the past life and so there's like this weird nostalgic aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And when we were in mm-hmm. York, I, I felt like I have been here before. And like looking at my ancestry.com, like DNA <laughs> results, I have like a lot of like Northern European, um, English, I guess that makes sense. Scottish, Irish. Yeah. That's how I feel about with Japan. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it's like, I haven't gone to Italy. So if I hit, if I go to Italy and I feel that you know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think, I think there's a way where you could get an Italian passport if you're great, if like your second, a certain great grandparent was from Italy. You have to like make some argument. You have to present some stuff. That's but what. I, um, that's what Kristen did. Friend, yeah, exactly. Her grandpa or 
something was from the UK and she was able to get citizenship. Yeah. So my brother was like, Michaela, start looking into this for us. And I'm like, it's a lot of effort. And I need, I need like a lot of documents that I do not have. That's what I should say. I'm like, I don't know how to get these documents. I will figure it out though. Cause that would be cool to have an Italian passport. I just don't speak Italian. Yeah, I should learn. Especially because the value of the U.S. passport is going downhill. So, I mean, I'm I'm trying to get over to Japan after my PhD. Hopefully, there's a lot of heritage everywhere. I should say, but based on my living experiences and where I have lived before, the UK, I feel like calls me sometime in the future. We will see. It's like it doesn't have to be immediately. Apparently, it's not immediately because... It'll all work out. Everything works out. This is us after Masters, just trying to figure it out. So I would say to put yourself in the best position possible while we're talking about jobs and stuff, I think Master's degree is the new minimum. And I don't think Master's degree is that big of an investment. Like, it is money-wise depending on where you go, but time-wise, it's like one to three years depending on where you go it's not too bad and you meet a lot of cool people so that and then I think grants are super important too for archaeology and so doing that within your undergrad degree or grad degree or after either is really important because it shows that you're capable of applying getting and using money for research properly I think that's like the next most important thing to like a degree is to prove that you can do things with a degree with like grant stuff. That's if like you want to continue to do research or a PhD or that sort of thing. I think grants are the next most important thing. I did Fulbright and that's being attacked right now by the current administration. So we'll see how how well our U.S. exchange programs go from here on. But the admin canceled all exchange with China for Fulbright specifically, like to and from. And so all of the students that got their scholarships from China to study in the U.S. or from the U.S. to go study in China are all canceled for this year and the foreseeable future. Yeah, I feel like we should be building more bridges in times of discomfort than (laughs) burning them. But yeah. I digress. We'll see what happens. During my undergrad and even master's, I was not, I mean, you're supposed to like kind of look them up on your own, but I was never taught anything really about grants. Really? And no, like during my undergrad, it was just like, oh, there's some sort of scholarships out there. I'm like, okay. It's like I had like FAFSA, Cal Grant, but I was never taught like anything about like looking up grants and for research, for anything with um, it's like there would be some scholarships for field work or field school, but it would only be access to a certain like demographic, and I would never fit within that demographic. Uh, I guess the only reason why I'm so aware of it is because I did that independent research with my professor to Mexico, like my sophomore year, and she made me apply to grants. And, like, shove them in my face. And, like, without that, I wouldn't have known that there was, like, a pool of money I could source from to do research. And then from then on, I was just aware that grants exist and big institutions have a ton of money they need to give out every year. And so, yeah, I think that's 
probably the like I don't even think people at my school know about grants to the extent I do if they weren't exposed to like that sort of thing also like I didn't even know about the Fulbright until five days before the application was (laughs) so like (laughs) I it really depends on like your social circle and who's telling you what to do um whether you know these things exist or not like I wish I would have known about Fulbright earlier I mean it worked out anyway but I think a lot of people just aren't aware of all the free money that's out there for you to apply for. I had a ton of help with my grant and like we had to have like a host institution in the country you wanted to go study in and like approval from them and a letter from them and all this stuff. And Sarah was able to do all that for me pretty much because she had access to those institutions and just sent them an email like, hey, Alyssa's is applying to Fulbright. Can you write a letter? And they were like, sure. And then they got back in like a day. And so that was way easier than it should have been. I know I talked to a lot of other Fulbright recipients and they spent like months trying to find the right host institution and getting approval and all this stuff. And so I think I just got really lucky in how easy it was for me because it's definitely not that way for other people. Luckily, I had someone who knew the whole process and what I needed. So yeah, that was that was really lucky for me. That's always very pleasant to have somebody helping you, being on your side, just being so supportive and wanting you mm-hmm. to proceed. It's like, come on, do this. Like, I'm here. I'm rooting for you. It's like, thank you. <laughs> if you find one of those in your life, you got to keep them close. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're they're your best friend academic-wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And try to get them to be a little older than you so they have a little more wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Sarah's like seven years older than me. So she had just finished her PhD when I was just going into my master's. So that was like the age gap. I don't know. It's but if you ask Sarah what to do after a master's degree, it'll be completely different from like what I'm saying too, which is funny because she's like, don't do a PhD. It's a waste of time and so hard and so much money and all this stuff and like so hard to get a job afterwards and blah, 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 blah. And like, that's easy to say, like coming from someone who has a PhD already. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So she, she was a big fan of like wanting to do like consulting and get into money making because during PhD and afterwards, you're just always like applying for the next grant and looking for your next paycheck and that sort of thing, which, yeah, it's, it's tough to be in the humanities because you're relying on other institutions to give you money like every year. It's not like a set thing that you can do. That's another thing to be aware of going into like research archaeology or PhD or trying to be a professor or whatever. Like CRM archaeology, it's a lot of unknowns because you don't know when you're going to have work unless you're full time, which you need like 10 years of experience to be full time. (laughs) So the experience always gets me. And what sucks with CRM specifically is that you have to give so much of your time away in order to get that experience because you're required to have a certain number of CRM experience in order to be like a full-time archaeologist for an engineering firm or whatever. But all of those years that you spend doing like archaeological field technician, you're getting paid like not that much usually. 
and then it's not regular work and you have to like supplement it with like another job or two jobs. And when I was doing CRM work, I had two substitute teacher district jobs. And then I was also doing babysitting. I was also doing tutoring. I was doing lift driving. So I had like all these other things I was doing on top of my corporate archaeology thing that looked really good on paper. And yeah, it was just a lot of work to have that year of experience, which stinks. Like you can't just be an archaeologist when you're fresh out of college, I feel like, unless you get lucky and you find some full-time job, which is hard to come by. But yeah, it's it's a lot of work to get that experience to be able to apply to the job you want. <laughs> There's so many steps, yeah, but it'll be worth it in the end. So we'll take a short break here. And we are back. Hi. Well, last bit we are talking about just kind of having connections and just having somebody to talk to. And last week I had an old friend from my undergrad send out a Facebook message and they tagged like a bunch of people in it that were in the archaeology world and just saying something along the lines of like, I want to go get my master's. I'm not too sure where to look. I don't know what I actually want to do. What's like, I do know what I want to do, but pinpoint where you want to focus. We had a good discussion about that because I responded and kind of giving the advice of making sure you know kind of what you want to go into and not just going just to go. Not going to get your master's degree just to get your master's degree, but have something that you're passionate about and that you want to actually research because you don't want to research something that you're not passionate about. Because then that would just be miserable. <laughs> it might be entertaining, but it, I, I don't know. And so then I learned that they actually do have two different interests where they're very interested in. They're very specific. So I'm just like, there you go. You you have them. Like, But I guess like the main issue is like, I don't know which one to do. And so I'm just like, well, can you incorporate both of them together? So just kind of like thinking more broad and in depth as well. But I recommended looking up professors and researching stuff within those topics and reading articles about what's already been written. And then contacting the people at the universities and just kind of like having general inquiries and about the university, the program, etc. I think they're looking into the U.S. though, maybe. But their topics are very interesting, but they're both very different than one another. It, they were both archaeology related. One was a little bit more anthropologically related and theory based than the other. But that's why I'm just like, I feel like that one can kind of get incorporated into the other. And then it can go into like a further research, like with a PhD. It's just kind of like cool to being able to have this sort of knowledge. And I think that's what was one thing after this master's degree. It's just kind of like, I have this master's degree knowledge, not just even like the knowledge I obtained from the master's degree, but having gone through the master's degree and like the application process stuff about the masters others in the comments there's one like i put my looking on hold because of everything going on another one's like i applied to a couple of different places so the people in the comments were all looking to go into grad school but none of them had gone through it so then i was just like oh i can offer some different sort of advice than some other people are currently offering i mean my my friend angela like she went straight into she was in 
a English major and she went straight into like healthcare or something. And um, she's been working there for three, four years since undergrad in the corporate world. And she decided that she didn't really like it. And so she's using a master's degree to just try something new and like do what she loves, which is in the literature world. And so I helped her go through that process. And even though I did archaeology, I knew how to help her with applying to English and what they were looking for and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think just going through something, you can apply a lot of that knowledge to other people who aren't necessarily in your field. I know I don't even know how research is going to work, especially if the pandemic is still raging, which is kind of scary. So my immediate future, so far classes are planned to be online, but graduate students are moving to campus. And I think small labs and stuff will be in person with like social distancing. But the first two years of my program are supposed to be classes anyway. So that's good. I'm not expected to be like traveling abroad or doing anything so I guess it's a good time to be entering a PhD. I feel bad for people who are in their third, fourth, fifth years who are in the middle of research and can't really do anything right now. The third through fifth years are supposed to be research related. Oh, currently I'm trying to publish my master's dissertation, which you are too, because I'm making you do that. Yeah, so Sarah's trying to make me do that right now before the PhD starts because when it starts it's going to be busy. I think she has research lined up given we're allowed to get there. <laughs> so we might be going back to Cambodia in the next year or two if it's possible. We won't know that until it comes. Publishing. Publishing a dissertation in an as an article how are you supposed to cut out so much of your dissertation? I read the <gasps> freaking word count. There were like 2,500 to mm -hmm. 5,000 words. And I'm like, I have 20,000 words. <laughs> Am I supposed to cut it down to 2,500? I have 25,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everything. what I'm doing right now is I'm just copy pasting stuff that isn't fluff. So like we had to write the lit review and so I'm not including any of that or like a lot of the background information. And then I think I'm just going to cut those paragraphs into a more condensed, set, like try to turn every paragraph into a sentence, I guess. I found an article that was archaeology with 3D models and stuff like that. So this is what I'm using as like kind of like a base. It's like looking over this is like, OK, how did they format this and stuff like that? And that's what I'm kind of doing from that. And I'm just like, cut, cut, <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Yeah. This is arguably harder than starting from scratch, I would say. It's condensing all this work. Other than that, I guess for me, it's just looking for jobs, trying to find my, like, where I want to be, I think. And I feel like I'm going in that direction currently based on some things that are currently in the works right now that I'm not going to mention, mm -hmm. but there's something happening. But yes. We'll mention it next time. Yeah. <laughs> and other than that, I've kind of started this little project. So I, as a digital archaeologist, I like doing a lot of digitizing and digital work for archaeological stuff and not even just archaeological stuff, but 
heritage based. And so something that I started doing like a year ago was colorizing black and white photographs that I have around the house. So I colorized one of my grandfather who passed away when I was around one years old in 1996. And it, it was so weird because it's like I met him. I don't have memories of him other than the stories I've been told. And so seeing a colorized photo of him kind of brought him to life for me. And it was it was wild. And just kind of like doing ones from my family so then I can start building up like a little portfolio. And so I did one that one. I did one for my grandpa who's still currently living. And it was so cool. I was like, oh, young grandpa, look at you. And I did one of like my great grandpa. He came over from Italy. And I'm just like, you look so Italian. And so now I got like a document scanner and I got Kodak film digitizer thing. I don't know what it's called, but it's like you put these like 35 millimeter slides in and then they kind of get projected and then you save it onto an SD card and then you can put it on your computer. It also does it with the eight millimeter film from like the Super 8 cameras. And so there's like so many of those at my grandpa's house. And so I'm going to go through and digitize all of those. Were these all just like in the garage, the stuff you're digitizing? Basically. Well, it's in a room. So they're all in a room. I think there's some more in the garage, but there's so many. There's so many things. And so I found a box of my grandma's old stuff. And my grandma passed away when I was six. She passed away in 2002. And so I have memories of her, but also it's like I never really get, got to grow up with her like some of my other brothers did. And I just hear some stories from my mom here and there. And so it's kind of cool being able to sit and going through this box with my mom and hearing her stories from these. It's like, oh, who is this person? She's like, oh, this is this person. And these like there's letters from 1948 when my grandma was 16. And it's just like a cool like I can like envisualize what's going on in the letters. I feel like it's playing out as a movie in my head. My mom made a comment like, I wish that I went through these with my mom because then she would be able to hear like the firsthand stories. And I I just mentioned like, I'm just glad I'm able to go through these with you. And I've made a spreadsheet. I'm going to start doing like data entry. I'm going to scan everything, write up information about everything. And for the letters, I'm just going to, I'm going to scan the letters, obviously, as well as write out what's on the letters. So transcribe them. And write notes. So it's like I would be reading them with my mom. And then when I'm talking about like the letters and then there's like a name or an address or something, my mom like makes a comment about it. It's like, oh, this was this person. Like, I remember this. And I write those like as a note. So then I'm going to start doing this. So then I'll have this like as like a portfolio. And like I think a blog would be like a really cool idea. Kind of offer it for other people who have similar things because I know that there's a lot of people with a lot of films and I would love to do this for somebody else because I just know how much nostalgia it brings me for something and it being for a time that I've never experienced and I know when I was interning at the Bowers I did a lot of this type of stuff or stuff that was in the collections and I just it felt really cool to like be present in a time where I was not. I'm already enjoying it and I haven't even started. My document scanner <laughs> and the film scanner just came in today. So wow. I get to start doing that. That'd be cool to figure out how to give that to other people too. Yeah. Do it for other people. I would, I would love to being able to offer it. Do it. Google how to start business. 
So that would be cool. If your family has anybody, Alyssa, <laughs> has anything that they want to digitize, hit me up. I will charge oh, $200 my grandma an hour. Probably does. Just kidding, not 200 For your grandma, it would be free. <laughs> She'd probably pay you anyway. Yeah, so that's my next project. And I, that's something that I have always loved doing with like the digitizing. People think it's monotonous work, and it can be. I find it fascinating, and it brings me a lot of joy, as I have been talking about it for X amount of minutes now. <laughs> and then just finding a job that I love might just be fitting in with something of that sort and being able to digitize and recreate, not not recreate a past, but being able to bring it to life. I feel like your best way into that would be to make it yourself. Yeah, I think I need to do that too. Which is which is probably possible. Yeah, especially now that I have everything. Mm-hmm. I have everything I need. <laughs> do it. So that's that's on my agenda. Nice. My present agenda. I think I'm just taking it day by day, week by week, month by month, especially mm. because of the pandemic. I think once I'm more stable, then I'll be able to have like a long-term plan. Impending PhD has kind of crippled me into not wanting to do anything. So I just work and play League of Legends all day and that's it. And <laughs> I don't have the mental capacity right now to do anything else. So that's where I'm at right now, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> which is I fine. Mean, you, you you need a break before you go off to a PhD. Yeah, I'm just, just hanging right now. I mean, I'm still doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, AOC plays League of Legends. Why can't you? <laughs> yep, true. If If she can do it, I can do it. We're on the same rank, too, so. Maybe you guys have played with each other. Maybe. I want to know her username. (laughs) You got to find it. So thanks for chatting. Good good to talk to you again. Though I talk to you all day, every day. (laughs) Anyway, who are you again? Who are you? (laughs) If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to us as usual. Let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to cover specifically. I think we're going to stay on trend in support with Black Lives Matter and history that's relevant to what's happening today. We're also planning on doing some stuff relevant to grant applications and just uh, like school applications in general because that time is approaching steadily. So we'll try to get some resources out there ASAP. Thanks for tuning in. Always a good time. If you need any sort of advice, don't hesitate to ask because we love giving advice and receiving advice. Please, please talk to us. We're lonely. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> stay safe, stay informed, make good choices, and we'll <laughs> see you next time. Bye. Bye. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.